0: Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Good. Now you are ready to enter the warning woods. The word is paridolia. Can you define the word? Definition. The perception of recognizable patterns or images, especially faces, in random or accidental shapes and lines. Can you use it in a sentence? I thought I saw Jesus Christ's face in my English muffin, but it was just paridolia. Yes, I learned about pareidolia in a 7th grade spelling bee. For 12 years, I had thought I was special. I thought I had some remarkable gift. I thought the faces I saw were ghosts, or maybe guardian angels watching over me. But Ms. Rosales crushed that notion on a Tuesday night in the gym, and I didn't even spell the damn word right. I whispered the word over and over to myself as I fell asleep that night staring up at my popcorn ceiling and all of my friends. There was Bob and Chuck, and of course, Smooth Chad. Smooth Chad was always looking sideways at Beatrice, checking her out even though she had a big lump over her left eye. Beatrice never looked back, though. And as I lay there, Barry and Larry, the two faces of the outlet across the room, frowned at me. They could never be pleased. Finally, I stole a nervous glance at Desmond. Desmond took up most of my heavy oak closet door. Desmond looked sour and spiteful and mean. His small, dark eyes had rippling lines beneath them, like someone very old or very tired, exhausted from staying up all night, watching. One jagged, curving line composed his mouth near the bottom of his long face, just above the point of his chin. Depending on lighting, that thin mouth could be a wicked grin or a fierce snarl. Never a friendly smile. Desmond was the only reason I was glad to learn about pareidolia. Pareidolia meant Desmond wasn't real. The scariest part about Desmond was the way he followed me around the house. Dad said it was because the doors were probably all cut from the same tree, and the pattern had gone all the way through the tree's trunk, Dad explained this after telling me he couldn't see Desmond, so how would he know what I meant? I tried tracing Desmond's wicked grin with my finger across the door to the garage, but Dad still claimed he couldn't make out a face. Neither could Mom when I showed her Desmond's pointy nose in the middle of the upstairs bathroom door. I could only see him on the inside of that door. I hated taking showers up there. In my dreams, I would ask the others about Desmond to find out if I was being silly or if they were as scared of him as I was. Chuck gawked down at me with his toothless open mouth and said, Don't let him near you. Bob said, You shouldn't talk about Desmond. Barry and Larry whimpered pathetically across the room. Smooth Chad kept staring at Beatrice, and Beatrice stared down at me. Her big lump quivered above her fearful eyes. In the dreams, I couldn't see Desmond. Shadows too thick for the ambient light to penetrate always shrouded my closet door. I never attempted to speak with Desmond in the dreams. It felt like something dangerous I might not be able to come back from, like how they warn you about drugs and alcohol and unprotected sex in school. I wasn't willing to take the chance. The chance of what, I couldn't quite be sure. The worst part of the day for me was always the hour and a half between getting off the school bus and my parents coming home from work. When it was nice outside, during most of the spring, summer, and some of the fall, I passed this time outside. But in the winter, or if it rained, I was trapped inside with Desmond watching me from the doors to the garage, the basement, the utility closet, the upstairs bathroom, my closet, my parents' closet, and bedroom door and the spare bedroom. And yet, my parents claimed they couldn't see him on any of these. Thankfully, I had to have a new bedroom door installed when the lock on mine broke and Dad had to break it in. I considered breaking my closet door, too, but I had an ominous feeling that Desmond would retaliate. I didn't dare tell my parents how scared I was of Desmond. If they couldn't even see the face, why would they believe it could cause me harm? Why did I, for that matter? I had lived in the house for 12 years, and the face in my closet door had done nothing but stare at me. I guess part of the reason I felt scared was because of the others. Bob, Chuck, Smooth Chad, Beatrice, Barry, and Larry. They were afraid of Desmond, too. They obviously knew something they couldn't tell me. So, I devised a plan to ask them. I told Mom and Dad my room was feeling crowded. I told them it might feel bigger if we took the door off the closet. They gave each other a look and a nod, like they had already been planning this. Sounds like a good idea to me, Mom said. Dad said, we'll take care of it soon, bud. Soon. What an awful word. So noncommittal, so vague. What kind of scale are we looking at? A day? A week? A lifetime? But when someone tells you soon, you can't ask how soon, otherwise you're a pest you're greedy. When someone tells you soon, you're supposed to smile and thank them. But in this case, when my parents said soon, they meant it. I came home from school on my 13th birthday to see my dad's truck in the driveway, an hour and a half early, and hear the sounds of power tools being used upstairs. Curious, I went up. I was halfway up the stairs when the tools stopped and I heard mom say, there goes the bus, he must be home already dad half-whispered, "'Well, go intercept him. It's almost ready.' I snuck back down a couple of steps to where I thought I would appear out of earshot. When mom appeared at the top of the stairs, I pretended I was just beginning my climb. "'There's the birthday boy,' she said, all too enthusiastically. I was turning thirteen, not three. "'Here I am,' I said like a thirteen-year-old. "'I was just going to put my stuff in my room. "'Oh, leave it for now,' mom said." Just put it in the living room. I have a surprise for you downstairs. From all the drilling and banging I heard, it sounds like there might be a surprise up here, I said. Mom looked almost ashamed, like she thought somehow I wouldn't have noticed the obnoxiously loud sounds when I came home. Her expression made me feel guilty, like I was ruining something she had wanted to be special. I'm just kidding, I lied. What's the surprise? There was no surprise downstairs. Mom led me to my PlayStation handed me a controller, and said, No screen time limit today. You play as much as you want. It's your special day. I pretended not to be suspicious of her clearly improvised diversion and thanked her. I think we mutually understood we were pretending. Either way, she left me alone to game and went back upstairs. The whirring tools started up again, then what sounded like the vacuum cleaner. The sounds were coming from the area of my room, which made me a little nervous. They also made it difficult to hear the TV, so I put on headphones until mom came back down. "'Okay, Kyle,' she said. She had a much warmer, more genuine smile now. "'I think you already know unlimited screens wasn't the real surprise. Do you want to see the real one now?' "'Oh, no. Whatever they were doing upstairs was for me.' I paused my game and said, "'Okay, sure.' When we got upstairs, Mom insisted on covering my eyes and leading me to my room. I smelled burnt dust in the air and fresh paint. There was a faint touch of oak in the aroma, too. When Mom uncovered my eyes, I was standing in a room I barely recognized. There were my things—my bed, my dresser, my nightstand—but they had all been rearranged. The walls, previously a minty green, were now baby blue. These changes, I liked. And the closet door was gone, which I loved. But, so was the popcorn ceiling. Mom and Dad had scraped the texture off of the ceiling and most of the rest of the house already, and had taken advantage of the remodel to finally do my room. Bob, Chuck, Smooth Chad, Beatrice, all scraped away. All dust trapped in the gray mess inside the vacuum. I tried to ignore this so I could seem excited. I told my parents I loved it, which I mostly did. They both wished me a happy birthday, and Dad said he was hungry. They asked me to pick a restaurant, and we went out to eat. After dinner, we saw a movie, and by the time we got home, it was dark and late. I still had school the following morning, so my parents said I needed to head upstairs. So much for that unlimited screen time. It was okay, though. I felt tired. I said goodnight and trudged up the stairs. I went to my room without turning on a light. It almost startled me to see my remodeled room. Going in in the dark, tired, it was only the second time I had seen it. It caught me off guard. I looked at the empty space Desmond had once occupied and smiled, then I shut the door. The door felt heavier than usual and the knob was wrong. I had a feeling I knew why. I held my breath as I turned around, praying I was wrong, but no, dead right. See, ever since Dad had to replace my bedroom door, he had complained about how it didn't match all the others. He said he knew it wasn't a big deal, but it still bothered him. So, since he was already taking my closet door down, he went ahead and took the new bedroom door down too. He replaced it with the closet door. With Desmond. My parents had scraped Bob Chuck and the others off the ceiling, vacuumed them up, and left me alone with the one face I had actually wanted gone. The light struck Desmond's face a little differently in his new position, too. His wicked smile appeared. Triumphant. I didn't notice until then that my dresser now blocked Barry and Larry from sight, too. They were all gone. All of my friends. Whatever they had wanted to tell me, gone with them. Regardless, I fell asleep feeling hopeful that night. After all, dreams are not confined to the present state of reality. I thought my friends might come back to me in my dreams, but that night, I dreamt of my room post-remodel. Even though I barely could have described the new layout yet, my brain conjured it up without a problem. In the dream, the shadows which had veiled the closet door had shifted across the room to cover the other door now, I still could not see Desmond. There were soft whimpers near the shadowy corner, too. Poor Barry and Larry. Hearing them gave me an idea, or rather triggered my dream self into action. I wasn't in full control of the dream. I got out of bed and crawled over to my dresser. After some mental measuring, I pulled out the second drawer from the bottom, all the way out. Luckily, the dresser didn't have a back. It was open to the wall and my measurement had been correct. I found my friends. Barry and Larry had had their faces stuffed with plastic outlet covers. My parents had apparently decided I wouldn't need to use that outlet anymore. With the drawer out of the way, my friends' whimpers sounded louder, more like muffled screams. I shushed them and curled my fingers around Barry's cover. Just stay quiet, I instructed as I pulled the cover out. Barry gawked at me in silence as I pulled out Larry's cover too. Once I had freed them, I ducked my head into the empty space where the drawer had been. Where are we? Larry whispered. My parents put you behind my dresser, I said. Listen, I have to ask you guys about you-know-who. Is he still here? Barry asked. When Barry and Larry spoke, electricity crackled behind their dark slots and holes like lightning. I gave them a brief rundown of all the changes and gave them a minute to mourn the loss of their sealing friends. Kyle, Larry said to me. You know who is getting stronger. Without any protection, he'll be able to get you soon. There was that word again. Soon. Were the others protecting me? I asked. In a way, Barry answered. They made you feel safer, right? They gave you confidence. They made you too strong for him. What does he want with me? I asked. He's just a door. I mean... I think he's something more than that, but I just don't understand. Barry and Larry flashed electricity back and forth at each other. It was their private language. A few seconds went by, then Barry said, Put the drawer back, Kyle. But I have more questions. We know. Trust us. I had no choice but to trust them, so I put the drawer back in place. It sounded like someone released a hive of bees behind the dresser. The buzzing didn't stop when smoke began curling out from the gap between the wall and the dresser. I could smell it, like a bonfire. I started to grow nervous. I looked up at my smooth ceiling, eyeing the smoke detector, wondering if I should pull up a chair and remove the batteries. Fortunately, the buzzing stopped as I was having these thoughts, and one of the outlets told me to pull out the drawer again. Barry and Larry's faces were blackened with smoke and char. They had even melted some of their plastic casing. Are you guys okay? I asked. Fine, Barry replied. We left you a message. It's all we can say. My whole face pinched toward my nose as I squinted in the dark. I couldn't make anything out. I was about to put my head back into the drawer space when Larry said, No, no, look at the drawer, Kyle. With a quick nod, I turned around. The drawer was laying on the floor behind me, I picked it up. The back was still warm to the touch. At first glance, it looked like the outlets had just scorched Desmond's name into the back of the drawer. I tilted it toward my window where moonlight was sifting through my sheer curtains. Now I could see the S and the last D had been blacked out, burned away. The remaining letters spelled DEMON. I was jolted awake by a resounding bang. As I woke, my body hit the mattress, the noise having made me jump unconsciously. My eyes had to adjust to the dark. I couldn't see much past the end of my bed. With my knees pulled up to my chest and my comforter pulled up to my eyes, I cowered in the corner and waited. I knew the demon Desmond was watching me from his dark corner. Edges of objects began to take shape as my heart rate accelerated. I could see the dresser drawer, the second one from the bottom had fallen out onto the floor. It was clearly what had woken me up. A stinging odor lingered in the air. It reminded me of when the belt in Mom's vacuum had burned up once. I continued to wait for Desmond's corner to come into focus, but it never did. A dark shadow shrouded it just as it did in my dreams. But that shrouded corner, that door, was my only way out of the room. The door groaned as if something was pressing on it from the outside. I heard the hinges creak and scrape against each other, and the screws struggling to hold them in place. It sounded like the door was going to split in half or break out of the frame. I slapped my cheek and pinched the back of my hand, wondering if I had fallen from one dream into the next, but it seemed this was my real room. I wished I could see what was happening to the door. I could only hear wood splitting, splintering apart. Suddenly, I didn't want to be trapped in the corner. I hurried to stand at the side of my bed, but kept my comforter in hand as a shield. I forgot about the drawer on the floor, though. I tripped over it, then my feet were caught in the comforter when I tried to right myself. I fell flat on top of the drawer and felt its sharp corners digging into the skin of my thighs and collar. As I scrambled back to my feet, I looked into the gap the drawer was supposed to fill in the dresser. I should have only seen dark shadows in there, but light was not behaving normally in the room. I could clearly see the outlet. The plastic covers I had removed in the dream were still in place. They had been scorched and melted, plugging up Barry and Larry for good. The melted plastic explained the sour smell in the room. I didn't have time to mourn the loss of my last two friends. I ditched the comforter and finally got to my feet. All of this happened in mere seconds. The door sounded like it could bust at any moment, I couldn't just wait to find out what would come through it, or out of it. There was another way out that I hadn't thought of before. The window. I hated turning my back on the shadowy corner and bulging door, but I did in the name of escape. I yanked one curtain almost hard enough to pull it down. The window opened with a crank. I unclipped the screen, set it aside, and started turning the crank as fast as I could. The tiny gears barely moved the tall window. One full rotation probably opened less than half an inch. As I furiously spun the crank, I kept checking over my shoulder. There were footsteps outside the door. I spun the crank. The doorknob started to turn. Still, I spun. The door opened, just a crack. I decided the window was open far enough. I climbed onto the windowsill and jammed my shoulders through. It was a 20-foot drop onto the lawn, but I thought if I rolled at the bottom, I would be okay. I just had to jump past the bushes directly below. I primed my legs to jump and heard Mom say, Kyle, we heard a noise. Sparing a glance over my shoulder, I saw Mom's face peering through the open door. She saw me, just as I saw her, a second too late for either one of us to prevent my fall. She lunged into the room with her arms outstretched as my fingers slipped from the window frame. My feet remained planted on the sill until the descending weight of my body pulled them away. I felt mom's fingertips brush my toes as they lifted off. As if in slow motion, I remember my mom leaning out of the window, screaming as I fell backward onto the lawn. The people who brought me home from the hospital said they were my parents, and I had to take their word for it. I didn't recognize their faces or voices. I didn't recognize the van they led me to. I was still pretty out of it, so I chalked everything up to the drugs and my disoriented head. I had hit the damn thing pretty hard, after all. They said I'd suffered a fractured skull and severe swelling. I was glad I didn't remember any of that. I remembered falling and waking up to a bunch of strangers in an unfamiliar place. Little did I know that was to be the story of the coming weeks. I recognized the smell of the van. That was all. Dirty laundry and french fry grease waxed over with a pine tree air freshener. This was familiar and my only comfort. I tried calling the woman mom just to see how it felt. The way she responded seemed okay. I tried calling the man dad and it didn't feel wrong. I could not picture my parents' faces. I didn't recognize the house we slowed down in front of or the garage we pulled into. Yet, when it was time to go inside, my feet knew exactly where the garage step was, where to wipe themselves once I went inside. I followed my instincts up the stairs and down a hallway I didn't recognize but still remembered. I know that doesn't make sense. On the way, I passed a few doors. The doors made me doubt everything. See, I remembered being afraid of the doors in my house, I remembered they had faces. I remembered the name Desmond, but these doors had no faces. Abstract patterns in the wood grain, yes, but faces? No. Nothing to be afraid of. I followed my instincts to the room at the end of the hall. My room, apparently. I wouldn't have recognized it even without the remodel, but the bed felt familiar. That relaxed me, but I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I was overwhelmed with the smell of burning plastic. I told the people I decided must be my parents that I wanted to sleep on the couch in the living room. I told them something about the room that should have been mine upset me. They put up with this for a while, but after a few weeks, after my head should have been healed, they became less understanding. They wanted me to sleep in my own room, and I refused. They took me to therapy, and there, We all learned the truth together. When I hit my head, I damaged a very specific pathway in my brain. The injury caused something called agnosia. Simply put, I can't recognize faces, voices, places, or even many objects. I guess some people have it worse. I can still recognize smells and some tactile information. But the diagnosis explained why I didn't recognize my parents or our home. It also... I realized with horror, explained why I was no longer seeing tormenting faces in the doors. This forced me to wonder were they still there? I couldn't ask my parents. They hadn't seen the faces to start with. When I had to return to school, my disorder started making me angry. Do you know how hard it is to navigate a new junior high school every day? To meet your teachers again and again, five days a week? It didn't take my friends long to give up on me. It didn't take the guidance counselor long to stop feeling sorry for me. I started spending more and more time alone in my room in the afternoons and evenings, brooding, hating, wishing I had simply died. On one such afternoon, I had devolved into spiteful tears. I sat up in my bed and stomped over to the door. I hid it as hard as I could. The skin on two knuckles broke open. My blood was smeared across the back of my hand and the door. This is all your fault, I said. I was so scared of you. I kicked the bottom of the door. Its wavy vibrations sounded like a deep, if brief, laugh. But you're just a door. I was just a scared kid and you're just a door. I lashed out again with my bloody fist. My knuckles made painful contact again and stuck. My closed fist was fixed to the door's surface as if I were clutching a powerful magnet. I couldn't pull it away. This only fueled my rage. Why didn't you just kill me? I demanded, and my hand started to tingle. It grew warm, and the warmth spread up my arm. At my shoulder, it turned to fire. It burned at my heart and lungs. It made its way down through my guts and into my legs. It burned, but I felt no pain. The invisible flames, I felt, were purifying me. When my entire body was embroiled in the cleansing heat, I felt the damaged passageway in my brain open up. Never had I felt such a strange sensation. It felt like peeling a long scab inside of my head. The faces of my parents and friends and teachers flooded into my memories as if they had been held back by a dam, Is this what you've wanted? A voice rumbled in my burning chest. Aloud, I said. Yes. Suddenly, I knew my room. I knew the furniture. My bed. I knew the door my fist was stuck to. I knew the face patterned in the wood grain. But it was wrong. The face staring at me from the door did not belong to Desmond. No. The face in the door was my own, and it didn't look sinister. It looked terrified. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.